Welcome to Episode 2, Part 2 of Emergency Medicine Operations Management, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 7,500 emergency physicians committed to board certification and democratic group practice. In part two of this month's episode, Mark Graben, an author, consultant, and entrepreneur in the field of lean healthcare, interviews Dr. Joseph Gorisco, chair of the AAEM Operations Management Committee and emergency department chair at Oshner Hospital in New Orleans. In part one, they discuss reasons for emergency department difficulties with throughput and patient flow. Continuing in part two, they will discuss solutions to address this difficult area of management and implications for the ED. Well, Joe, thanks for being part of the second half of our discussion about emergency medicine, emergency department operations management. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mark. I'm glad to be back for uh, the second in this series. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully we arrive at some solutions here. Yeah, and you know, it's important to talk about solutions in part one. You know, we talked a lot about the problem statement, the burning platform, if you will, and some of the really you know, pressing issues facing emergency medicine and emergency departments, the, the different operations issues around throughput and patient flow. You talked in part one, maybe a pickup on our discussion there about some of these operations management models and lessons from factories. If you can talk about that a little bit, because I'm, I'm sure some people, and I've run across this when we talk about, you know, lessons from factories, people say, well, uh, you know, we're not making widgets here. This is very different. This is very complex. How do you address that and, and find the balance and taking these lessons learned and figuring out how to apply it in this different environment? Yeah, I think that's important, you know, to discuss in, in some way further, because I know it's comparing what we do in emergency medicine, which is, you know, it, you know, everything works great in PowerPoint and maybe works great in simple industries. Healthcare is much more complex, and when you're dealing with people, things aren't quite as defined. So I don't want to diminish the complexity of what we do. And for those who, who are out there every day and night working in EDs, it's, it is complex. But there are lessons to be learned from other industries. And so the goal is to take what we know has worked in operations in other industries and see if we can apply them in the ED. Not that it's necessarily simple, and it's not meant to compare what we do to selling cheeseburgers or working in a factory, but there are principles that work. And I know at Virginia Mason in Seattle, they spent years looking at Toyota production systems, just going going there and looking at how how operations and how efficiency and how lean processing works. And I know Virginia Mason has had huge success in just taking principles and applying it to healthcare. And so, again, it's not – I don't want to equate what we do and simplify it, oversimplify it, and reduce what we do to, to factory work. But I'm convinced, as you are, because I've read the work you've done, that there are important principles to, to learn out there and that we need to sort of look at what we do and the services we deliver to patients. We have to look at it with the same level of criticality and same level of importance that other industries have. And so I just want to make sure that everyone understands that. Uh, what we do is complex, but we do have a lot to learn from other service delivery industries, which we are in, in a big way. We're a service delivery industry. Yeah, and you know, a hospital, of course, has a very different reason for being and a sense of mission and purpose. And you're right. I mean, there, there are lessons to bring from a factory about, as we talked about last time, understanding patient demand and when people are arriving so that we can make sure we have the right 
resources of rooms and mid-levels and physicians to be there to provide the best care. And, and I think we would be in agreement. The key here is providing the best care, making sure we have enough time for each unique patient as opposed to viewing the patients as widgets. That's not what we're doing um, you know, with those factory lessons. Right. And I think what's important is that the goal of this is to make things better. We look at, again, just from the stepping back a little bit, you know, healthcare, again, as I mentioned, is in terms of profitability is very thinly margined right now. Our payers are paying less. Our patients are getting sicker. And so unless we find a better way, a safer way to take care of patients and remove the waste of what we do, patients are not going to get better care and they're not going to get great right. care. So the goal of all this is, is not to to minimize what we do, but to realize that unless we find a way of doing it better, looking at other models in, in the service delivery area, that we're not doing good for our patients. And I'll just give you an example, just to quickly, you know, patients who are waiting, unless we solve this problem of throughput, patients who are waiting, in my mind, are, is a patient safety issue. And throughput in the ED is really was developed after solving patient safety. So patients who are waiting, you just never know what's going on in the waiting room unless you can get the patient to the provider and get some of that risk resolved as soon as possible. So a patient waiting is a patient safety right. issue. And most of what we do in emergency medicine is time critical. It's time to thrombolytics. It's time to CAT scan. It's time to EKG. So throughput and efficiency in ED equates, in my mind, to patient safety and patient quality. So the whole goal here is to get better at these things. And again, we have to look at other industries who do service delivery. And there are key principles that I think we can deploy in the mm -hmm. ED without dehumanizing what we do, because what we do is, it is much more complex and, and it does involve a broader array of talents than an assembly line. Yeah. And, and one of those principles that I think you're alluding to that can be applied is the whole field of queuing theory, which has roots in industrial engineering, which is my undergraduate degree, and, and queuing theory. If I remember the history, a lot of it was developed around the telecommunications industry of looking at you know, how many telephone operators do you need if you have like you know inbound calls arriving to a call center. People might say, well, you know, like you were talking about last time, you, you can't predict who's going to call, kind of like you can't predict who's going to arrive to the emergency department. But you can actually look at the pattern of how many calls you're going to get in a certain hour, in a certain day, and you can, you know, plan and, and staff accordingly um, so people get the best service. But, you know, we look at queuing theory and looking at why do queues or lines form when you're looking at the math and the queuing theory principles. You know, practically speaking, why, why do we get lines or, or long waits in, in a department like emergency medicine? Right. So, yeah, just stepping back, the curing theory is the study of why lines form. It was developed in the early 1900s as a way to understand how many operators and telephone circuits you're going to need to handle this new thing called the telephone. So, mm -hmm. And it was called the theory of probabilities in telephone conversations. And so it's the same thing in the ED. And so you have to ask the question, and, and so the contemporary question I, I relate to that is AT&T Help Desk. I mean, uh, if you call AT&T Help, and I'm not plugging for AT&T, but if you call any phone vendor who provides services like that, if you call the Help Desk worldwide, the goal of these companies is to answer that phone in 10 seconds. And the question is, is the probability of calls coming in to a helpline for uh, a phone company any more predictable or less predictable than uh, patient arrivals to the emergency department? And the answer is 
AT&T can solve that problem. Why can't hospitals do the same thing? So the answer is it has to do with variants. But the predictability of patients coming into ED is, is probably along the same lines as people calling a help desk. There is a way of calculating the probability of patients or customers needing a particular service. And that's sort of where the answer is, is, is understanding the data and understanding what the demand rates are. So we all get that. We all do that every day. We all look at the average number of patients who came into the emergency department at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of know that. You say, okay, well, that's easy. We, we know it was nine patients per hour. And then say, okay, you know, let's say it's eight patients an hour, and an average physician sees two patients an hour. And so, okay, we'll put four physicians on staff for that hour, and everything's cool. And so we're going to do four doctors, four providers. They're going to see two patients an hour. We have eight patients arriving on average, so it should work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't, and you and I know right. that it's, it has to do with variance. And you're probably more expert than I am in the math of variance, but variance is the thing that causes lines to form in the mm-hmm. end because it won't be eight patients an hour. It might be... It might be 10, might be 12. And so working off the average without understanding variance is where most people fail in fixing wait times. Yeah, and, and there's also the dynamic you look at an average and say, on average, 10 patients arrive per hour. That doesn't mean they arrive every six minutes like clockwork. Right. They tend to arrive a couple at a time. And the, the math and the distributions, it's not a, a normal distribution, you know, without getting too deep into the math, the distributions are actually fairly predictable. The same way in certain circumstances, a bell curve would be predictable if you look at people's heights or other characteristics. The good news is that it makes things fairly predictable. And, you know, to the next point about matching up demand, what, what are some of the implications, you know, if we're looking at at averages, and we expect on average people are going to be 100% busy. What happens in the not just the queuing theory, but the queuing reality in emergency departments? Right. Yeah, I think it's important to know that to the audience listening. I, I don't want to get too deep into the math, but I think it's so important to understand why we fail in managing demand. So we should talk about it a little bit more. Again, getting back. If you have four physicians who see two patients an hour, and you get eight patients who arrive, if they arrive, you know, every six, seven minutes, eight minutes, I I guess everything's fine. But again, they don't arrive that way. And so uh, what happens is we tend to manage our EDs at an average of eight patients arriving with four physicians. We tend to have a pretty high utilization. In other words, they're they're 100% utilized at that rate. But what happens sometimes is you get 12 or 14 patients arriving. And if you have providers that are maximally utilized at 90%, greater than 70%, when you get that variance in demand, everything goes wrong, and you never recover from that. can't make it up in future hours. And so that variance in demand above the average, when you have an ED that's utilized at greater than 70%, there is just no way to match and meet that service demand above variance. And, and so that's the key thing is it's not about solving average demand. The answer in fixing the ED is solving variances in demand above the average. Because if you say you you want a 30-minute wait time on average, that means half the patients are going to wait above 30 minutes. It's Mm -hmm. going to be a disaster. (laughs) So 
the answer is not solving average demand. It's about solving 90% probability of demand. So how do you do that? And that's what you were getting to. How do you figure out what the probabilities of demand are going to be? Not average demand, but let's say if you have enough data, you can reliably predict where 90% of your demand will fall. In other words, at any given hour of the day, not the average demand, but what's the 90% demand rate so that we can be available to meet the patient's needs 90% of the time, not 50% of the time. That means half your patients are unhappy. So how do you get to 90% requirement of meeting service demands? So it's not about four providers, two patients an hour, eight patients arriving, because that's what your data shows. It's about understanding the variance and what is going to be at 9 a.m. in the morning, the 90% probability of arrivals. And how do you cost-effectively supply enough resources without going broke to meet 90% demand probabilities, not 50%. That's, that's the challenge. And before we go into some the solutions there, you know, there is a queuing, I don't want to get into queuing math too deeply, but there is a formula. It's if you can do four things per hour, let's see, you can see four patients per hour and four patients arrive. It's a simple queuing formula is one over service capability over minus service demand. So if you have the capability of seeing four patients per hour and four arrive, it's one over four minus four, which means that the wait time will go to infinity because of variance. So we have to go beyond this concept that if we map average demand in the ED and we have a model that delivers providers that meet that average demand, we will endlessly be faced with wait times. And so the goal is to understand the variance around that average and figure out a way without going broke of providing enough resources to meet the 90th percent of demand probabilities. That's the key thing. Yeah. And I think it is very counterintuitive to people. And when you talk about percentages, for example, and and you talk about 70% utilization, I can imagine a lot of people think, well, in tough financial times, we need more efficiency, more throughput. If our provider utilization or room utilization is only 70%, if we boosted that to 95%, we would be more efficient, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. And And that's the thing that's frustratingly counterintuitive, right? Right. I mean, so you, know, you try to jam more more patients into the flow, bad things happen, right? Right. So in healthcare, because margins are so thin, everyone wants to maximize productivity. And so we tend to push our EDs to the 90th or 95th percent of utilization. That's where we want to work. And we tend to work at that utilization at average demand. And so, again, if you get demand above the average, if you get variance, there is just no way that as clinicians we can actually match that variance in demand. And so most industries, again, back to factories and manufacturing and other industries, most industries find that utilization is best around the 70th percent, 70%. And that allows anyone who's providing that service the capacity to do more when they have a variance in demand. You have to think about it in the ED when you're, when you're really super busy and you're, you're maximally utilized, when you get a surge in demand, that, that proverbial bus that crashes, there's no way you can handle it. That's because there's no capacity to do additional work. It's just not doable. So the goal is to get EDs to function like a flywheel at a lower RPM. 
mm. at 70% utilization so that we can, we can actually manage variants. The problem is hospitals can't figure out how to pay for that. In other words, at 70% utilization with almost a zero margin, hospitals are it's daunting how they can provide more resources to get to that lower utilization without going broke. And so that's the dilemma we talked about in the first part of the podcast is how do hospitals figure out how to better utilize their resources at a lower utilization so that we can manage variances in demand without busting the bank. Mm-hmm. And that requires a different model in the ED, requires a different workflow model, requires a different staffing model, a different cost model. And that's hopefully what we get to in the second podcast. Mm-hmm. But that's the key in my mind as to the dilemma, the difficulty in solving this problem. It, it centers around cost and the inability to come up with a, with a model of care that delivers lower utilization, more capacity at lower cost. And again, I think that's that's another thing that sounds counterintuitive, lower utilization, more capacity or more throughput. But that's, uh, I think, what a lot of organizations are, are demonstrating. All right. So before we actually get into that, how does AT&T, again, back to how do they manage their cost structure to provide someone to pick up that phone within 10 seconds? Well, we know that to answer a phone line, 2 a.m. because it's nighttime is much more expensive. It's a prime staffing cost. So what do you do? Well, you outsource the 2 a.m. call to someone in Asia or in India or in Africa, somewhere halfway around the world where it's daytime, where the cost of that uh, resource isn't double what it is you know, at 2 a.m. in the United States. And so the way to approach it in the emergency medicine is along those same lines. Is there a different staffing model, a different resource model that allows us to, to do it more cost effectively. And so, I mean, that's how industry does it. That's how they sort of figure out a cost model that allows them to have enough people to do the work on demand without customers waiting. Mm-hmm. And now one of those models, to talk a bit about solutions and the time we have left, split flow is something that you've I've seen you present about and talk a lot about. And can you talk about that split flow model and, and why that helps address some of these issues of delays and improving throughput? Right. So, Mark, I think you're right. As we begin wrapping up to the solutions here, which is, you know, what both these podcasts are about is, first of all, understanding what the issues are, but getting to these solutions are important. So, yeah. I think the traditional model in emergency medicine and that's changing. I think in the in the years I've been doing this that I've seen significant change. We're out on the circuit trying to teach people these concepts. So the traditional ED model, which is becoming dated, is that patients arrive, they go through a standard registration process, they go through a standard uh, triage process right there. That's 20 minutes right there. And then they go into a traditional ED where there's only one line and everybody gets a bed. And everyone sees a board-certified, highly valuable, highly skilled, mm-hmm. and critically important member of our team, the emergency physician. And patients wait in that bed for their test results to come back, occupying a million-dollar resource. And so that's the traditional model. Everyone knows that. It's a pretty straight line. It's pretty resource-intensive. It's, it's very wasteful because we're consuming resources that the customer, the patient, really doesn't need. So that's the traditional model. So the split flow model 
is different. It, it basically incorporates a number of things. First of all, we don't do traditional registration triage. We tend to eliminate any waste in those two areas, and we can do both those things in about one minute. But that doesn't mean the patient gets to the provider in a timely fashion. So it's important to eliminate waste and non-value-added work. And so we, we've leaned those two things out. But the important point is, is getting to the provider in a much shorter period of time, much faster. So the way we do that is at Quick Look, at traditional triage, we split the flow. We use an ESI acuity scoring system. But one of the main objectives in the Quick Look is to determine if the patient needs the million-dollar bed. Because once you put a patient in a bed for their entire length of stay, you're going to run out of beds. The most critical resource that patients will wait because there are, quote, no beds. And so part of the split flow model is that in the beginning is to ask the question, not is the patient sick? We know they're sick. Do they need a workup, a clinical workup? Do they need to be admitted? Those are important questions. But that's not the critical question in terms of workflow. It's critical to the patient. But in terms of workflow, the question is, do they need that million-dollar bed? And we know that 60% of the time, the answer is no. Mm. So the goal of split flow is, first of all, making sure that we get the right resource to the patient. Do they need a bed or not? If they don't need a bed, we split those patients off into a different stream. No different than it's done at Whole Foods where you have, you know, if do you, are you checking out 10 items or less or 10 items or more? So we split patients off into a separate stream based upon their need for that million-dollar resource. Right away, if 60% of our patients don't need that million-dollar bed, it preserves that resource for everyone else who needs a bed. And so it, it virtualizes the ED. It creates a lot more space. So the patients who go into the lower acuity stream, need to see a provider. So getting them into that lower acuity stream and not consuming the million-dollar bed doesn't solve the problem. You have to still resource that arrival demand. And if you use the traditional model of a physician, a highly skilled, well-compensated, highly trained physician, the cost model is such that you can't provide enough of those on demand in the right numbers to meet arrival demand. So this split flow model, not only does it preserve a bed, but it sets up the second part of the solution. And that is the second stream, the lower acuity stream, allows us to put a different resource in there. And that's, and that's mid-level providers. And so we use half our staff are mid-level providers here at Auctioner and the other half are physicians. In that lower acuity stream, we use mid-level providers to see those patients. And you might ask, well, How does that improve the cost? Well, for patients with lower acuity, most of the work we do in terms of a physician skill set is not value added. A lot of it's keyboarding the chart. A lot of it's shaking hands, writing prescriptions, escorting the patient, giving instructions. A lot of that I don't necessarily need to do as a provider, physician provider. Most of that work in the lower level of care is done extremely well, even faster than me, by physician extenders, mid-level providers, is you know whether nurse practitioners or PAs, either one, they're able to perform that work just as fast as me at a fraction of the cost. That cost structure, that difference in cost structure, allows me to put four times greater numbers in terms of that resource in front of that demand, and so. So for the same cost in the old traditional physician staffing model, if I can 
double that or quadruple that in terms of provider resources, then that allows me a cost structure to see that variance in demand. So we preserve the million-dollar bid, and we set up a cost structure that meets this arrival rate, not at average, but well beyond average into the greater than 90% probability mm-hmm. without bankrupting the institution, without bankrupting the, the business plan. So those are the two key components is making sure we don't run out of beds and making sure we don't run out of providers. And the utilization of both those resources goes from being maxed out to being in ample supply. And so it's a workflow model and it's a staffing model. Both of those together ultimately deliver the solution that we need. And now, I mean, you know, this is such a um, important topic to, to delve into, but I think we're running out of time. Are, are there some resources available through AEM or what else would you recommend for people who want to learn more about split flow and, and some of these other models? You know, as an operations management committee, we, we certainly are a resource. Our committee is a resource. Our, our committee structure is open to, to those who are interested in learning more about operations management. We're connected through the AEM website, www.aem.org. We have workshops that we present on a regular basis, and this topic is discussed and printed and presented in in Common Sense, the the regular publication of AEM. So there's a number of resources available to learn more about this. And then if you you just Google door-to-dock or capacity management in emergency medicine, you're going to get my friends from Banner and Phoenix who've done a lot of work with this. You're going to get... People like Peter Vecellio from Stony Brook. You're going to get Jody Crane from University of Tennessee. And you're going to get people like you. There, there's a lot out there that, that's being developed along these lines. So I, I think there's a number of ways to get more information about, about this model of care. Well, thanks, Joe. And can you talk a little bit as we wrap up here about upcoming podcasts and other things that are going to focus on other aspects of patient throughput? I appreciate it, Mark. I think it's important that everyone knows that we're doing these podcasts, and we, we did the first two with Patient Satisfaction by Tom Scaletta, Edward Hospital in Chicago, who's, who's done great work in the patient experience area. And then we're doing this in purely operations, and we, we hope to continue this, and we, we'll be introducing additional subjects over the next few months as we develop the series. And so I would just ask everyone to stay tuned through AEM.org to look at what's coming up. In addition to that, we are also producing another workshop at the uh, February 2014 AEM Scientific Assembly. So there, there will be you know a day and a half opportunity there to learn more about this. If anyone's interested in this topic, I, I think it's joining the Operations Management Committee. We're open to new members, and we're we're constantly working through Laura Burns with the AEM communications division to find new ways of connecting and communicating with those who are interested in this topic. So we're we're exploring every means of social media and structured podcast and and presentations and workshops to move this topic onto the next level and get more people uh, working in this area. Well, Joe, thanks and uh, glad we could, you know, delve into these issues of, you know, operations management, ED throughput improvement. There's a lot of math, but there's also a lot of I think really uh, kind of you know valid and and proven principles and and solutions out there to help address this. So thanks for your leadership on this and the work that you're doing, you know both in your own organization and more broadly. Thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I've enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate the time you spent with me. Thank you. 
We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM and to access additional resources on this topic, please visit our website, www.aaem.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the AAEM blog, part of AAEM Connect, where you can leave comments and engage in a conversation around the issues discussed in this podcast. Join us again next month as the AAEM Operations Management Committee will discuss more issues of relevance to emergency physicians.